0: Who is Jesus? What is his mission? We're following Jesus as he builds a movement of misfits traveling through Galilee, bringing good news to the ordinary, broken, confused, and undeserving. Who will choose to follow him? How will he react in the face of conflict? What is the good news of God's kingdom really about? Let's pick up where we left off. Hi everyone, I'm so glad you've joined us for church today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1, uh, if you'd like to get there in your Bible or device. So We've got a, a couple of hot topics related to our passage today, uh, but maybe the hottest topic of all is the line in the sand uh, of this parable that Jesus is going to tell. This is a parable you've certainly heard before, uh, but even though it's familiar, I would ask you to lean in instead of tuning out, uh, because there's a lot here for us today. So the scene opens with another reference to uh, Jesus' magnetic attraction to the crowds. It's in Mark chapter four, verses one and two. It says this, it says, "'Again, he began to teach beside the sea, "'and a very large crowd gathered about him, "'so, so that he got into a boat, and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables and so mark has alluded to jesus teaching before now but this is really the first lengthy section of teaching where mark is actually providing us the content of, of the teaching of jesus and this one seems to have a very special place uh, among the parables because down in in further down the chapter in verse 13 jesus says Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, if you don't get this one, you're probably not going to get the rest of them either. So this one has to do with who will receive the mystery of the new kingdom. And so the crowds were large and they were crushing in. And so Jesus went into a boat and he sat down. Now sitting was the posture of a formal rabbi when he was ready to teach. And so Jesus is sitting now as a demonstration of his authority. Remember last week, even his own family wasn't understanding his mission. But here, the crowds are pressing in, and the structure of today's uh, passage goes something like this: It's there's the parable itself, and then secondly, there's a section about the mysterious nature of the kingdom, and then at the end, we have an explanation of the parable to the disciples and to some other curious followers. And so I want you to, to join in the scene here, in your mind's eye. I want you to place yourself in this unfolding drama, and I want you to imagine Jesus in the boat, and imagine that you're on the shore listening to him, and he, he, he gestures kind of out over your, uh, to your right to a ne- nearby field where there's a, a farmer and maybe some of his farm hands, and they're out in the field scattering seed over the ground, and your heart is ready for this powerful object lesson from the Lord. and and it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30fold and 60fold and a hundredfold and he said he who has ears to hear let him hear now when it comes to the, the meaning of parables, one of the interpretive lenses to look through is that we ask, you know, what are the what things are constant and what things are variable? And so there, there are three different things in this particular parable. There are seeds, there's a sower, and, and then there's soil. This is a preacher's dream. They all start with S. So <laughs> the seeds are one of the constants. They don't change. This is not a story about good seeds and bad seeds. The seed is the word of God. The seed will always bear fruit if you give it half a chance. The seed doesn't change. Also, the sower doesn't change. And and so this is not a story about good sowers and bad sowers. In fact, the the thing that you notice about the sower is how generous he is with his seeds. Almost extravagant. He doesn't seem to be very careful at all about where the seeds land or trying to conserve or or making sure that the ground is right. He's a wonderfully generous sower. And it just spreads the seeds everywhere. So the sower doesn't change and the seeds don't change. And so what's the variable? Well, just take a wild guess. (laughs) It's the soil. The soil is what changes. And so whether or not the seed takes root and thrives depends entirely on the state of the soil. And so you can count on the seed, you can count on the sower, But everything hinges on the state of the soil, and the soil, of course, represents you and me. It represents human beings. It represents the the receptivity of our hearts and uh, and our lives to the Word of God. And So we're going to talk about the conditions of the soil today. And you can actually replace the word soil with your heart. You know, here's today's big idea. It's a thriving disciple begins with a receptive heart. And there are four kinds of heart conditions that Jesus points out and that we're going to explore in the parable today. And my question to you is how receptive is your heart? I worry sometimes that the teachings of Christ and the very Word of God, they get the same receptivity as an airline attendant gets when, when they're giving instructions on a plane about emergency landings. You know what I'm talking about. They're up there talking into their little microphone and no one is paying attention. Have you ever looked around during those instructions? Like, like there's a person you know, over the speaker saying these very important words. They're saying, listen to me. You know, if we crash into the ocean, here's what you should do. And you look around, people are sleeping and people are watching movies and they're reading books and they're staring out the window and the person's like, hey, this is pretty important here. You need to listen. You need to hear this. That's what Jesus is doing here. This passage is intended to get our attention, to to shake us from our slumber. You don't want to be sleeping or daydreaming or fiddling in your purse for finding your protein bar or whatever. The, the, The state of your heart, the receptivity of your soul is crucial in understanding this text. Now, let's start with the the controversial parts, okay? So let's look at verse 10. Uh, So Jesus is done with his formal teaching, and it says in verse 10, And and when he was uh, alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to, to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, wait a second. What? (laughs) There are two problems, at least, that I see here. First, it seems like Jesus is promoting having kind of an insider's club and an outsider's club. And also... He seems to say at the end of this that the purpose of his parables are to keep people from being converted, to keep people from being saved. It sounds like he's saying, I'm trying to confuse people because I don't want them to be forgiven. So let's take these two problems in order, shall we? First, does Jesus have a special insider's club? I want you to notice in chapter 4, verse 10. It says that, that there were the disciples there and that there were those around him, that there were others around him. And, and they were gathering for an interpretation of the parables. So what I want you to notice is that there's nothing that separated those inside and those outside other than their own honest inquiry, their own willingness to have their hearts changed by this new message of the kingdom. It wasn't just the twelve. There were others who were opting in as well. And so this so-called outsiders, you know, could become so-called insiders anytime they wanted. But, but the new reality of the new kingdom was so different from the status quo that it was building kind of its own sort of dividing wall. And, and quite frankly, Jesus needed to speak in parables because if he spoke plainly just yet, the Pharisees would have rushed to murder him earlier than they did. We know that they're already plotting against him. And so, Jesus' point here is that the parables are providing uh, or proving who is opting in to this new kingdom message. Parables were never meant to be the greatest educational tools ever used. In fact, they they would confuse and mystify. They they were the first example of a plot twist. (laughs) They they never seemed to end with the expected punchline. And and so parables are these descriptions of this mysterious new kingdom. And the message always goes counter to the way that the world works. And here's the thing. You can only understand the meaning of the parables once you accept the reality of the kingdom. And not just the parables, but really everything about Jesus, everything that he says, everything that he does, including miracles and healings, that they, re- they require a kind of spiritual insight and a new kingdom-mindedness in order to accept them. This also points us back to the religious leader and, and really Jesus' own family uh, in, in the preceding section of Scripture. They were evaluating things only from a human perspective. They weren't you know, suffering from a thick skull. They weren't suffering from a lack of education. They were suffering from a hardened heart. They couldn't receive it, a heart that couldn't accept the kingdom. And that same wall exists today. There are people offended, and, and, and they're, they're pressing for Christianity to be more kind and to be less offensive. And we should strive to be those things interpersonally, but the message of the kingdom can be offensive and, and it's open to all, but not all will respond to it. And so it's less about figuring out do I believe in each of these individual teachings and more about is your heart receptive to, to replacing the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of your own ideas, the kingdom of the kingdom of lesser identities with this inbreaking kingdom of Jesus. But here's the second problem question. It's is Jesus saying that his parables are designed to keep people from salvation? So it's important to take note here that that little section, that Jesus is actually quoting something. well what where's what is the quote? Well, it's a quote from Isaiah six, nine, and ten. And we need to understand the context of the original quote in order to understand what Jesus is actually driving at here. And so in Isaiah six, God sends Isaiah out to preach, but but he also warns him as he sends him out in advance, that his words are are meant that are meant to restore, are only going to harden the hearts of the hearers. So God knows the hearts of people. And he's aware that Isaiah's message is not going to change their hearts. And so God calls upon, listen, God calls upon a faithful prophet to preach to a faithless people so that he can give them every possible opportunity to repent. It's significant now that Jesus is quoting this passage here because he's claiming that it's the same thing that's going on. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom while at the same time fully aware that many people are not gonna receive his teaching. So a better translation of this little section, this quote may be Jesus saying, these crowds will see, but they won't perceive. They will hear, but they won't understand because the last thing they're going to do is to turn and to have their sins forgiven. Their hearts are too hard. You see, every time the word of God goes out, It has a softening effect on some, and it has a hardening effect on others. And God is going to display both his mercy and his justice depending on the receptivity of their hearts. And it's not just the word of God that has this effect. The same is true of Christians. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 that those who are being saved, to to those who are being saved, that we are the aroma of Christ. But to those who are perishing, that we are the fragrance of death. They're not going to want to see us coming. And so Jesus' teachings will reveal people's hearts and their kingdom receptivity. And so the point of the parables is this, that Jesus did not come merely to unveil a few cute, fresh ideas about God, no. This is way bigger than that. That the parables would expose the condition of the hearts of the hearers. This new kingdom, while it's open and accessible to everyone, would also require everything. It would require heart change. It would require a call to repentance. It would require a whole spiritual revolution in a person's perspective about about God and life. This is no small invitation. And, And so when it comes to the mystery of Jesus' parables, one can only grasp the full implications of the riddle when they possess an undying allegiance to the riddle giver. He used parables to separate the curious from the serious. So we have to ask, will will this truth cause you to lean in or will it chase you away? And so the parable of the sower, it's actually the parable of the soils, helps us to diagnose the state of our hearts. It forces us to ask, how receptive is my heart? Pastor Scott mentioned a few weeks ago that the Bible doesn't just give us a window to see the world through. It also is a mirror that we must hold up to ourselves to see ourselves in. And so I want to encourage some self-reflection here, some self-diagnosis, if you will. I had a friend some years ago who was overweight, and he told me that instead of weighing himself on on a scale every day, he found a new way of measuring his fitness goals. He he said, here's what I do, Derek. I stand in front of a mirror with a stopwatch in my hand, and I hit start on the watch, and then I jump up as high as I can. And when I land and, and stuff stops jiggling, then I stop the clock. And if tomorrow I jiggle for a little bit of shorter amount of time than today, well then I'm making progress toward my fitness goals. Anyway, with that disturbing image in mind, let's hold up the mirror of this parable to ourselves and do some self-diagnosis. Okay, so the the disciples and the other curious followers have er, have learned and they're leaning in and they're gathering around Jesus so that he can explain the meaning of this parable, so look at verse 13 as Jesus begins his own interpretation. Verse 13 he says, and and he said to them, 'Do, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The, The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So, so let's call the rest of the, this message today, why some people never get it, diagnosing the state of your heart. Here's the first diagnosis. Jesus would say, beware of a hard heart. So the first condition that he introduces here is a hard heart. It's those who reject the gospel. Back in verse 4, he said that, that some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. And then in his interpretation in verse 19, he says, these are the ones that when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the gospel comes to them. And their heart says, no thank you. In those days, the the berm alongside a road was made up of hard-packed dirt. And so when the seeds were scattered alongside the road, they made no penetration into the soil. And the birds would easily uh, pick them off. And Jesus said that that's what Satan does. We learned last week that though Satan is bound, that he's still a danger to those who are indifferent. and, And that there are two kingdoms engaged in active combat for the human heart. And so some hearts are hard. They're apathetic. This word apathy is a compound word. Ah means without, and pathy means feeling. And so when you're apathetic, it means you're without feel. And when you don't feel what you're supposed to feel in a certain situation, it's a red flag that there's something wrong with your heart. Some of you are in that condition right now. And like, so when you're in situations where you should feel love or compassion, or where you should feel shame or guilt, you just feel nothing. You're cynical. And some of you hold up that mirror and if you're honest, your heart is hard today. Maybe this even happened after you became a follower of Jesus. Like your, your heart has been hardened along the way. Maybe you've been spending a lot of time with hypercritical people and the once soft ground of your heart has been trampled on by people and it's become hard. The Bible says that there are certain things that cause a hardness of, a, of heart. Ephesians 4, 17 and 19 says, a soft heart becomes hard when it, when it starts to give in to impurity when it starts to give in to sensuality, to give in to greed. Hebrews 10, 29 to 31 says that the hardness of heart comes as people insult and trample on the ways of God and and take holy things and treat them as unholy. There's a disregard, there's a, a cynicism and a bitterness that can set in. And the heart is hardened. And the end result, the word that could save you is stolen from you. Here's the promise of the new covenant from Ezekiel. The answer to a hard heart is a renewed openness to spiritual things, an exploration of the ways of God. Ezekiel says that God can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Even some of you now can sense a softening happening as the word of God comes to you. And when God gets your attention, I like to say, pay attention don't ignore the work that he's doing, even now in this moment. Here's the second diagnosis, it's beware of a shallow heart. So some seeds fell on what he called rocky soil. Now the original audience got this in a way that we don't get it. Because unlike us, whose yards may contain some rocks here and there that need to be raked up from time to time, much of their farmland was literally just limestone bedrock with a couple of inches of topsoil covering it on top. And in many places there was so little dirt that when the roots would try to go down they just hit rock right away. That They had no chance to kind of spread And flourish, and so verse 5 says it this way. It says that that it immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus would interpret this later in verse 16 when he says, These are the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the, the word, immediately they fall away. And so for a time, it appears that things are going okay. In fact, often these folks look like, you know, they're, 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 they're taking off with great gusto in their faith. They're, they're in every Bible study. They're at every survey They volunteer with great enthusiasm, but, but their light is, is like a flare. They, they have a glowing passion for Jesus that quickly burns out because it's not deeply rooted. See, in Jesus' immediate context, these were the crowds, they were the ones that were all amped up about Jesus, but in the end, it was just about what he could do for them. As soon as the first difficulty came, they all fell away because their, their genie in the bottle wasn't working for them anymore. In our day, it's the people who can point back to maybe an event and say, you know, I said a prayer back there, I walked an aisle, uh, I, I heard a message, I went to a retreat, I got the heck scared out of me around a campfire during summer camp. I said yes to Jesus at the time, but honestly, from that moment on, have had no objective evidence of Christ working in my life at all. Like you've not grown in your love for Jesus. You've not grown in your worship of him. There's no recognizable fruit in your life. There's no evident passion in your walk with God. You literally had one moment to point back to and outside of that, nothing else. And it's a view of salvation based on one glorious moment of conversion and it's not an accurate view. For, for others, this shallow heart doesn't express itself in one glorious moment, but in a lifetime of, of what we call works-based righteousness. It's a righteousness that says, well, I read my Bible on occasion, and I try to pray as I'm able, and I volunteer in the nursery, and I go to church two out of four Sundays a month, and, you know, I handed a homeless guy five bucks on the street the other day, and I don't swear when I get cut off in traffic, I just say things like, you know, you dirty rascal. And, and so, you know, I do my side of the deal. And because I do all of these things, God's side of the deal is to make me happy and to make me healthy and to make me whole. I want my marriage to work without a lot of effort. I want my kids to turn out. I don't want to you know I don't want any health problems and I want to live in the next bigger house that I have in mind. That's the trade-off for a shallow heart. And what this passage is saying is that the trade-off is actually a changed heart that understands that the kingdom of God, Completely redefines things like success and happiness. And if in the end I don't get all those things, but I get Jesus, well, Jesus is what I'm after anyway. You see, these quick fix approaches to faith say that when things are easy, I do okay. But, But when things get difficult, I bail. And this mindset is just generally epidemic in our world right now. I change jobs, I change marriage partners, I change ministries, I change small groups, I change churches, I change faiths. But deep roots require time and they require endurance. See, the Christian life is like a marathon, it's not like a sprint. You need different skills to run a marathon than you do to be a sprinter. Look look at a side-by-side of an Olympic marathoner and an Olympic sprinter. They look like they're from different planets, you know, just their quads alone. So, so quick growth isn't a sign of mature growth, but lasting growth is a sign of maturity. And Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches, remain in me, remain in me and you'll bear fruit. We want lasting fruit, not flashy fruit. The, the third heart condition is to diagnose is this, it's to beware of a cluttered heart. Jesus said some of the seeds came up and they were choked by thorns. You, you know, thorns are just a type of weed. That they take moisture and they take nutrition from the ground and they already have their roots sunk deep. So any new seeds that are trying to take root are just choked out because the weeds are already occupying the space. Here's how Jesus interprets this in verses 18 and 19. He says, they are those who hear the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You see, in this case, the soil is actually good. It's good soil. It's soft enough. It's deep enough. But the problem is clutter. The problem is that the soil is wasting its nutrients on weeds. And the seed of the gospel is now just choked out by sheer competition. This is the man or woman who hears the gospel and receives it. But as they begin to walk, they're, they're trying to squeeze a life of Christ in on the side with all their other obligations. You know, your life is so full of other priorities that you just try to kind of fit Jesus in. And eventually, all of those other priorities will begin to choke out your faith. I've just seen people trade intimacy with Jesus for the dumbest of things. Trading intimacy with Jesus for pornography is a terrible trade. Trading intimacy with Jesus for years of unforgiveness or for compulsive lying or for an addiction to social media, these are horrible trades. I've seen women trade Jesus for a deadbeat guy. I've seen guys trade Jesus for a deadbeat gal. That is a horrible trade. Listen how Jesus defines clutter or the, the weeds of life. He says, these are the, the, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. See, here, here's the thing about weeds. Any gardeners listening? Here's the thing about weeds. They, they rarely go away on their own. Like not very often do weeds look around and say, you know what, we've been in this yard long enough. Let's go to someone else's yard. Weeds don't do that. When they get you know, some place, they, they tend to stick around in that place. They, 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 they spread. They invite friend weeds to come over and pretty soon the weeds have taken over the whole yard. I'm here to remind you today that some of you need to do some weeding. They're not. It's not gonna go away on its own. Maybe you're a workaholic and it's choking the spiritual life right out of you. You need to get serious about a healthy rhythm. You're not able to, to love God and to love your family and to love your friends the way that you should. You, you've gotta do some weeding. The weeds are not gonna go away on their own. Some of you are financially overextended and it's choking the generosity and the spiritual vitality right out of you. And you need to rearrange your financial lives. You need to do some financial weeding. Some of you have kids that are signed up for too much crap. They're in so many leagues and in clubs and lessons. Like You're single-handedly keeping these youth organizations in business. You need to do some weeding. Will you remove clutter from your life? Will you get serious about weeding? Because a divided and a distracted heart, a cluttered heart, it will keep you out of the kingdom. So some of you need to pull some weeds so you can grow some seeds. Beware of a hard heart. Beware of a shallow heart. Beware of a cluttered heart. And here's the fourth diagnosis. It's to cultivate a receptive heart. See, a heart that proves to be good soil will welcome the gospel immediately, deeply, and exclusively. Jesus interprets this in verse 20. He says, The good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So so a sure sign that the soil is good is that life will start producing fruit itself and then reproducing it in others. Jesus would later say, you will know they belong to me by their fruit. True followers of Jesus will be easy to pick out among a crowd because of how they live out their faith, their actions, their attitudes, their words. And, And the effort required to do this is simply the effort to stay connected to Jesus, to remain receptive to his word and his ways, to go through your days with a receptive heart, intentionally listening to the Holy Spirit. The job of a branch, he said, is not to produce the fruit. The job of a branch is to stay connected to the vine. And so one of the great connecting practices that I know of is is ending your day with reflection. We talk about finding your chair, doing stuff all the time. Here's another angle, it's the daily examine. It's a great way to end the day. It's just a simple practice of noticing, looking back before you lay your head on the pillow and noticing the activity of God in your life. You you remember the good moments. What are the big and small things that happened today that that you're thankful for? And then you review your day. You look hour by hour back through your, 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 your scheduling app or whatever it is. Where was God with you? When did you follow him well? When did you miss him? Then you repent of any sin. Like if you knowingly sinned, you ask for forgiveness. If you unintentionally sinned, you ask for wisdom in how to make that right tomorrow. And then finally, before your head hits the pillow, you resolve to live tomorrow well. You, you learn something from today and you incorporate that learning into tomorrow. This is what good soil looks like. It's a heart that's soft. It's a heart that's pliable and receptive to God's work. But did you notice the end result of this parable? that a receptive heart isn't just about inflow, it's about outflow. That that your life, if it's healthy, it's gonna resemble more of like a river flowing and moving and rushing, and not a puddle that's stagnant and dead and muddy. Jesus promises reproduction. He promises that more disciples will be made through your life. In fact, you you won't understand the shocking nature of this parable if you don't understand that the harvest that Jesus describes is unbelievable. Normally in a good year, one seed would lead to a stock or a head of grain. Maybe in a bad year, maybe there would be just a couple of grains in the stock or whatever. In a good year, maybe there would be 20 to 25. Jesus says it could be 30, 60, or a hundredfold. So so this soil is not only producing growth, it's producing a crop of growth. This is the multiplication that God desires in his kingdom. And it's beyond human comprehension. Healthy hearts, he says, will begin to see impact in the lives around them in increasing measure. And so Jesus has shown us That the sowing of the seed actually reveals the nature of the soil. That the scattering of the truth of the gospel actually reveals the nature of our hearts. And so I ask again, how's your heart today? God wants you to grow. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to be able to love somebody tomorrow that you couldn't love yesterday. God wants you to to deal with that sin so that it has less and less of a hold on you. so So it's no longer even interesting to you because your heart has changed. that that you'd be able to share your faith with greater and greater boldness and effectiveness simply because he's so central to your life, That, that you live in him so deeply that life flows out of you. You know, God desires for you that you'd be able to pray more deeply, to speak more truly, to rejoice more fiercely, to forgive more freely with every passing year so that by the time you shuffle off of this earthly soil, people will look and say, there was a human being who walked with God. So how's your heart today? Which soil are you? Uh, let me ask one more strange question. What is the job of soil? Do you ever think about that? If we're all soil, what's the job of soil? And the answer is actually kind of humbling. <laughs> I mean, without some outside force acting on it, soil is capable of nothing. It doesn't water itself, it doesn't sun itself, it doesn't plow itself. And, and so your job as soil is to put yourself in a position to hear and to receive the word of God. And then when it comes, and then when the gardener comes and says, listen, you have rocks, you have thorns, things have gotten hard over here and unresponsive over here, you, you let him do that work. And so, so we're going to end with a time of response today. And some of you, God is tugging at you right now. Maybe you, you have a hard heart. You have a divided heart because maybe you have a relationship or maybe you've been hurt by the church and you're holding on to some bitterness and some resentment. Some of you have been disappointed. Maybe you had a dream that's, that's crumbled, a hope that didn't get realized. And, and there's this kind of shell that's formed around your heart and you've become cynical. Or maybe you've tried and failed with faith before. Because your heart was shallow, you got off to a great start and then it just kind of faded away. And if you're honest today, there's, there's no spiritual depth in you at all. The soil of your heart needs tended to. In some cases, it needs broken up, needs plowed, needs tilled. Your heart needs to be softened by tears of repentance. My guess is if soil had feelings, it would probably not like the idea of being tilled very much at all. Like if you were to ask soil, like would you like to be plowed and weeded today? The soil would probably be like, listen, I think I'll take a pass on that, thanks. I think I'll just stay stay the way I am because it sounds like breaking up hard ground would hurt. It sounds like weeding and removing stuff that I've gotten used to would hurt. Deepening hurts, digging hurts, and so I'm good. I don't need the pain right now. But I wanna remind you today That turning over the soil of your heart is not the worst pain. The, The worst pain is to remain hardened, to remain barren and empty and shallow and distracted and never live the life that you were created to live before time began by the giver of life. That's the worst pain. And so we come to the gardener and we ask, please give me a receptive heart. Please tend to the thorns and the rocks. And when you ask him to do that, how do you think the king of this incredible kingdom will respond? Well, here's what all of history tells us about how he'll respond. He will say, I will rescue you. I will save you. I will grow you. I will deliver you. I will heal you. I took all your thorns on my brow. I was buried under your rocks in a tomb to show power over death. I've taken those things upon myself so that you might live and that you might grow and thrive and flourish. That's what I'm here for. So at all our locations now and online and on TV, we're going to come before the King in prayer as a next step. And I'm going to ask your host to come now and lead you through a time of response. I love you guys.